Hi, and welcome to Found. I'm your host, Daryl Etherington, and I'm here with the thumbs up to my face palm. Jordan Crook. I feel like it should be the other way around, though. You think I face palm more than... Yeah, that's probably true. No, I think I face palm more. Oh, wait, yeah, you're the you thumbs s- up, right. But you thumbs up at the right. end of every meeting, sarcastic. Really, I should be the thumbs up and the face palm, and I don't know what you are. You're just I dead mean, eyes. Yeah, I don't make any... Sudden movements. Yeah. It's <laughs> my management strategy. Also, my life strategy is display no emotion. That way they can't, yeah. they can't get you. The evolution of man. <laughs> so we're on Found, obviously. This is TechCrunch's premier podcast. <laughs> Number one. I feel like I haven't yet ribbed equity in 2022. So let's go ahead and do that. Better Than Equity podcast. And here we tell you the stories behind the startups. And today we have a terrific guest. Julian Green, who is co-founder of Headroom, which is a video conferencing tool. So real hot right now. I mean, I feel like it's been hot, I guess, for the past two years and will be for the foreseeable future. But Headroom is different in that they're employing AI in a really unique way in this space to basically take care of everything that is tedious and kind of the minutiae, I guess, of meetings. But the stuff that really adds value. So taking notes, trying to get a sense of like where people are at, what their engagement level is. Like who's talking the most? Who's talking the Kinda most? Kind like Daryl right now. Like if <sighs> you were using it, it would be like, Daryl, you are monopolizing the conversation. I, do, I used to run these through Otter afterwards for transcript and it would have percentage talk. And it would be like uh, guest mm-hmm. by a large margin, <laughs> me, and then you. And I did. Yeah. I was, I ascribed that to like, this is a technical problem because Jordan's at the time. So talkative. No, your connection was kind of weird or like you had some mic issues yeah. or whatever. Right. So, but it's not like, it doesn't add up to what you know of me right. to be the quietest person on the call. Right. right. But now I want, well, now I'll have to look at it because it could be. I have to take a look. Gender inequity or something. I mean, I'm willing to admit it could that's be. what it is. Yeah. File a claim. Please, please don't. <laughs> <laughs> Make you really face <laughs> I think that actually is like a core thing. We actually didn't talk to Julian about as much as I'd like to have done. But like, it's one thing that the platform can do is highlight that in a way that is maybe difficult to do in a virtual meeting environment, maybe easier to do in person, right? So well, you don't have the data either, right? Like if that's actually happening, right? If there's a five person team with one woman, and she often feels like she's being talked over you, they talk over me, but like, point to it. Well, I don't have every meeting recorded, you know, like, what do you mean? I'm telling you it happens. So you actually have like data now. Yeah. This one use case, but could be an impactful one. Yeah. And we talk about a lot of the use cases and also, you know, why Julian wanted to do this in the first place. And a lot of it came from his experience at big tech companies, including Google. But yeah, no one can explain it better than Julian. So let's go ahead and get right into the episode. Hi, Julian. Thanks for joining us. Hey, Daryl. How's it going? Great. It's going great. We're doing this meeting on Zoom, but maybe you should tell me whether we should be doing it on Headroom, which is the company that you co-founded. Well, I'm glad you asked, Daryl. It is the future. I'd love to (laughs) show you to the light. (laughs) Great. We're eager to be convinced. I would love for you to give our listeners an explanation of what Headroom is, just a very high level overview, and then maybe a bit of background about yourself as well. Sure. Headroom is really about fewer, better meetings. And I think we've all sat in meetings wishing we were somewhere else. Yes. 
we want to jordan can attest <laughs> she's seen me clay's over yeah and it's strange because meetings should be fun right we're meeting with interesting people <laughs> sometimes <laughs> some meetings <laughs> so not should they be fun? ideally so not, i think so I I agree. I agree. Continue, Julie. As a, as a like B plot goal, I guess. But okay, let's keep. All going. right. Let me let me let me say some meetings should be right. fun, but there's lots of different type of meetings. But you know, some of the best moments you have meeting with cool people about cool stuff and learning and and having you know maybe even creative conversations. I think meetings can be great, but most often they are not, and that is a problem because we all spend all of our lives in meetings, yes. particularly now. We're stuck in our homes and the way to reach out to people is to have a meeting with them. And so, you know, you have these days filled with meetings that don't allow you to do any other kind of work. And yet you don't have a lot to show for it right. at the end of the day. I'm not the best note taker in the world. And so, you know, occasionally I have some chicken scratch to, to show, you know, that I, I did do something with my day at work. But it's this funny conundrum. So what Headroom is trying to do is two things. We're trying to make meetings themselves uh, better in the meeting and try and allow people to communicate in a more human way and take all the work out of the meetings. And then after the meeting, we're trying to make that meeting information useful. Right. So those, that's really our approach. And I can talk about how we're throwing some technology at that problem. Well, yeah, I mean, those are all admirable goals. And I think ones that basically anybody who has to do meetings would recognize as useful, right? Like based on their own personal experience. I'm the same as you. Like I'm not really a note taker. And I also hate the thing of like, it feels bad to designate like a steno or something, but like somebody should, cause I'm not going to. <laughs> so one of the ugly truths is that there are very few people who actually take good notes. Right. And unfortunately, you know, the people who are best sort of get tasked with it and and that's all they can do. They can't really participate. They can't be in the meetings because when you're, you know, when you're doing this, people talk at 120 words a minute and the number of people who can type 120 words a minute is vanishingly small, you know, maybe 60, maybe 80, unless you're a professional, you know, stenographer. And then it's rare to have one of those on your meeting. There's not one in each. Exactly. (laughs) The number of professional stenographers is not broadly distributed. (laughs) So, uh, you know, the question is, you know, do you want to take verbatim transcripts? And that can be useful. Often you want to take the most interesting bits of the meeting and sort of note that down, you know, what actions you need to take and what decisions have been made. And and so your observations. But humans are dreadful at multitasking. So if I'm trying to communicate with you, if I'm also trying to communicate with myself through, through transcript on notes, I'm essentially not communicating with you. It reminds me, though, of, I mean, I think it's like every single meeting that we're in Jordan like Slack is the obvious example right like people are in Slack and you're like oh this is great I can do both these things at once but then it's like what what were your thoughts on that Jordan and it's like huh yeah uh-huh huh uh-huh yes I agree <laughs> right? like you just you, yeah. you clearly have no idea bad about it too everybody thinks they're great at it that's the weird thing about it I always default to yes and I Like, you know, I'm not like the decision maker at TechCrunch, but I do make decisions. And when I'm caught fading, yes is the answer I land on. And hopefully it wasn't a terrible idea. It's like, I think that's great. Let's do it. You know, I mean, we shouldn't feel bad about multitasking because most of the time we're not super engaged in meetings. You know, people sort of feel bad about it. I think the solution is to make the meetings better and make it you really wanting to be there rather than feeling bad about doing something else when you're in a meeting. 
So I did. I wanted to ask about how did you personally get interested in this problem? Like you've obviously participated in your fair share of meetings over your career. Uh, <laughs> I think Google is, I mean, every tech company is known for having lots and lots of meetings. But was it a pain point that you just saw and you were like, well, my particular skill set applies to this or what was your kind of realization of like this is a problem that needs fixing and i'm the one to do it it was a converging of two things that brought me to to want to do headroom one was as you said sitting in you know 25 years of meetings in silicon valley and realizing that the smartest people with the greatest resources on the funnest problems still have dreadful meetings (laughs) and and matched also with sort of a broader more intellectual you know, observation that the politics in which, you know, our generation seems to have served up a stunning lack of leadership and people can't have constructive conversations. And unless humanity can start with four people knowing what they spoke about and (laughs) what they decided, (laughs) what hope is there for, what hope is there for humanity? Yeah, that's a macro point that I did not consider, but it it makes a lot of sense. Like, because if you're broken at that fundamental level, then how can you, how can things work? at a mass conversation or communication level, right? Like it doesn't stand yeah. to reason. So we're saving humanity one meeting at a time. <laughs> wow. I mean, it, like, is that literally what you use when you're going out and recruiting? Because it's a competitive environment, right? Like, is that part of the way that you get engineers and people excited about joining the company? Is like, no, look, like this is a bigger problem than just like, what's your day look like on a, on a business basis? That's part of it. I think meetings are a little unsexy. Mm. And so fixing meetings uh, doesn't ne- isn't necessarily the rallying cry. And I think thinking broader than that of how we're really understanding human conversation. And so we're using technology to truly be able to summarize and give insights into human conversation. And I, I can talk more about that. At the same time, a lot of what motivates the best engineers to work on Headroom is that we're using real-time AI Mm. in in some pretty cool ways on real-time communication. So that's a lot of it too. So I want to talk about all of this because like I've been pitched a lot and essentially since the pandemic on like everyone who's quote fixing meetings and so much of it is kind of similar to what you said early on, which is like, oh, let's make meetings fun. So you have like, "Mm mm-hmm, right. And there are a few others that are like, what if we could put you in some virtual environment? You know, you put a picture and then you have a GIF and you, you know, have a little sticky note and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, all, it's almost like, you know, if artists who rarely have meetings got together and decided this is what meetings should look like, it was like very <laughs> random, you know? <laughs> so it's interesting to go the, like, I'm wearing a tie route. I'm sure that's not, you're not wearing a tie right now, but like comparatively, to what I've been pitched, you feel very much like you're wearing a tie. Like, this is actually a real problem and I'm going to go solve it with AI. How does real-time natural language conversation processing happen across every industry? Or like, how did you decide to roll it out, right? Because what's important to us or how we make it, and it's not even just industry-based, right? It's like team-based. Like how Daryl and I and a group of five other tech crunchers come to a decision is different from the next media organization and the next media organization and what that sounds like and the terms that we use and the lingo we have and the jargon, like seems so hard to scale that out and learn that and understand what is the highlight of this 40 minute meeting. Right. The domain seems so broad is what I, I think. That's what I'm at, trying right? to like say. Even, yeah. With yeah, many yeah. words. So, yeah, I mean, every meeting is different, right? The, the interesting thing is the experts on what's being discussed in that meeting are in the meeting. And that's the crazy thing, you know, sort of the domain experts in in there. And the insight is that they actually label the data in real time by their reactions in the meeting. 
And so if you use what we're using, which is you use multimodal AI, use the different signals. So one, you know, one fun example is, you know, if you see two people crying, are they at a wedding or are they at a funeral? Mm. Yeah. You need more context. And if someone uh, says, yes, I'd really like to work the weekend, are they for real? <laughs> or So you need to look at the transcribed language and you need to understand that. And there's been a lot of innovation with GPT and transformers in understanding general language. You need to be able to look at people in meetings and see if they're excited, if they're engaged, if they're less you know engaged this is a this is a, a visual joke for an audio audio medium <laughs> but, we do this all the time yeah, we're constantly, like, <laughs> hand gesturing to each other if someone's looking out the window or you know has, has left the frame or you know it's playing on their phone and so you know the language and the vision and then the audio and their intonation the pitch of their voice and on the video you know their eye gaze and their body language so you put all these together and you start to have an understanding of human conversation and what we've done is we take all the best technology to do that and then we've labeled a bunch of meetings for what are the most interesting moments so if you take notes the other thing is you know in the meeting in headroom you're taking notes at the same time and you can do it in a couple of ways you can click on some transcribed text and just make that a note like highlight so if daryl or jordan you know delivered a beautiful paragraph a pearl of wisdom i can just you know click on that and make that a note or i can you know make notes myself and so every time you do that you're essentially voting that that moment in the meeting is interesting and so all these different signals go together and allow you to in the most easy way to understand, take a one hour meeting and choose the five minutes of the most interesting moments of that meeting. You know, it's like a sports center highlight reel. Yeah, it's NFL red zone for meetings. Yeah, yeah. That is exactly what I want. Because like immediately afterwards, you're like, I don't even remember what just happened, let alone highlights. Like, I don't remember the thing at all. So there's no chance that I'm going to pull the highlights That's out of it. Encouraging. <laughs> someone who's in so many meetings with you jordan don't tell my boss you the forgetting curve on meetings is insane so we've done some some research on this and you know even just two days after a meeting people basically remember nothing yeah. so if you go back and say you know what was the company that daryl mentioned or you know what was who was the person who i should talk to about that and so what we built is a sort of a google for meeting information is where you can go back and you know you have total recall if it was said in the meeting you can find it. You can go to that moment in the video. And there's a lot of solutions out there. And, you know, you talked about everyone saying they're fixing meetings. We feel, we're obviously biased, we feel that we've taken a very complete approach yeah. to this. And so there are some people who, you know, you said, mm-hmm, is they're doing cool things with video filters so you can sort of make it more fun to look at things on video conferencing. There are some people who are doing transcription. Right. There are some people who are doing, you know, gesture recognition in meetings to try and add some nonverbal communication in. There are people who are taking the video of your meeting and transcribing it and making it, you know, editable and shareable. We're doing all of that. That is, to me, the thing, because we, we've used Otter previously because, like, it's a reporter's best friend in a lot of ways, right? And then they introduced their integration with Zoom, and I think we tried that a bit for meetings. But it, it is isolation. You're right. Like, all these elements are, like, either too complex for people to just all bring together and remember, turn on this thing or whatever. It's a lot, especially cross-organization or between organizations, to keep track of. And then it's also just like insufficient. Like it's not giving you like, okay, well, it's giving me the whole thing, but really that's just, it makes it marginally more searchable than say like video, but like, it's still not telling me what was the most important thing or what did I actually want to remember? So we're getting to the point in the podcast. I think we're going to need a sound effect for it. 
where I, with 10 minutes worth of information, start brainstorming on something that you Oh, know this is when you do your product. And spend your life's work <laughs> on. Suggestions. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. <laughs> Let's do it. Let's do it. So like proactive information delivery, right? Like how many meetings have action items at the end? Like Daryl, by Tuesday, can you get this? And I'll do this by Thursday and we'll meet back again on Monday. That's something that you guys could do, right? And be like, hey, Daryl, Tuesday's tomorrow. And you said you would do this. And it's here in a transcript. And based on evidence. Exactly. Right. That is not yet in the product. That is absolutely something that we're hoping to add. And if you think about some of the previous attempts, it's been more like Alexa or Siri. You've been invoking a, an assistant. Remind me to. Yeah. Well, there was Eva, right? And voice, voice yeah. And so it was like, hey, Eva, enterprise voice assistant, I have an action item. Then the assistant could help you take it. But the language technology is now so good that if you say, we should do this, I'd like to meet you next week. I have an action item. You don't need to invoke an assistant. And I think probably most useful is to suggest an action item rather than saying, you know, we're going to get it right every time and we absolutely know, you know, what you want. You say, hey, you know, was this an action item? And then you just click it and say yes. And and so that's the plan. Yeah. And then, yeah, your tool will get better over time because you're like, what action items look like? (laughs) This reminds me so much of like, this is an anecdote from when I just started out in my career. I was a desktop publisher actually for like a very small consulting firm. This is a long time ago, but the managing director of that once called me in and he was like, Daryl, you're a smart guy. You're a smart guy. What I need you to do is program an Excel sheet so that it can take recordings of our meetings and then do a transcription of that and then output the the point of, of the meeting or the point of the person's comment in like another cell. And I was like, how do you expect me to do this? I, I went to his, just, cause like he was the type <laughs> of guy, he was the type of manager where like nobody said no to him directly. Like people just said, Oh, okay. So I was like, I, I was like, I can't do that. I can't do that. I was new. So I'm not savvy enough to be like diplomatic. I'm like, that's impossible. What are you talking about? And then, <laughs> His assistant was like, oh, we'll get it done. And then like took me aside and was like, look, you're just going to email me a summary with a description and then I'm going to put it into an Excel sheet and we're going to tell him that the Excel sheet did it. (laughs) It's a computer made of two human brains. My point is like at the time it was totally absurd to imagine that anything could do that. I was like, I think that there are people working on their PhDs and stuff like this now, but it's like not a thing that anybody can do, especially not in like consumer grade technology. Timing is everything. And I think what when I was using machine learning at at Google for the computer vision and the AR we were working on, and then at Google X to solve all these crazy deep tech science problems, we were trying to get machine learning to help us solve. What I realized is that the computer vision and the natural language technology is now right at the right moment to try and solve human conversation. And meetings are a great place to start because they're valuable interactions. There's enough value there for people to pay you to solve the problem. They're relatively structured. Hopefully, you're not just shooting the breeze. We literally are. Like, room would be lost (laughs) in TechCrunch. I'm telling you. Who has the agenda for this one? We must have the the worst worst meetings. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, we are terrible at it. But I mean, that could be fun. And that's that's also a goal of getting together. But yeah, there are enough meetings where really stuff needs to happen. And they're structured and, you know, you know who's in them and there's hopefully an agenda. And <laughs> so really, it's a solvable problem. And that's why we're excited about the fact that there's all this data. For the first time, meetings have audio and, and video being captured. There's this technology, which is now at the right time to be able to help. 
And if the new crazy reality of, of remote and hybrid working is going to stick around, we need something better to make it worthwhile. Yeah. And I imagine it is because like some people argue like, will there be a reaction that is like aggressive the other way? Or like people are just, okay, I don't want to have anything to do with remote meetings anymore at all because it was so long. But like, Jordan, I need a sound effect for the time in the podcast where I reference when I worked at Shopify, but that's Shopify. this time. Can you just use that? <laughs> yeah. Boom, boom. Uh, but nice. when I did that, <laughs> when I did that, like we were, it was, the pandemic was not a twinkle in anyone's eye, right? It didn't exist, but we did the hybrid all the time, all the time. Every meeting was hybrid. You just, you went into a, a conference room, there was a huge video screen and a bunch of people from Montreal or Ottawa or whatever joined via the video screen, right? So I, I have to imagine that it's it's now just entrenched in the norm and de facto and not going anywhere. I think the beautiful thing about the whole future work debate is nobody has any oh. idea. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's true. So, yeah. But you guess that there's going to be more options and people are going to be doing more different things. Not everyone is going to be nine to five with a tie you know, in an office every day. Yeah. It's going to be much different. And we've seen as a remote startup, the power of being able to hire people, not just in Silicon Valley, but around the world is crazy helpful. Wait, I want to go back to the product. So there are certain categories of enterprise or SaaS tech that are very clear on the bottom line of a company, right? When they sign on to use the software. And I'm like, okay, I get it. Even if it's not directly related to like my product cycle, right? Or my customers or whatever, I can see how this saves me money or how this makes me money. One of the two. Whereas this feels like it's in a separate category where there's a, a lot more that's qualitative. It's like, hey, I know meetings suck. Like, I know I don't quite remember what happened and I know that things get lost in translation and blah, blah, blah. But like, what does a good meeting actually look like? And what is like success with this new tool actually look like? And how can I measure it and make sure that the money I'm spending on this is worth it? So how do you do that part, right? When you're talking to customers and like actually selling the value of the product, do you have numbers you can attach? And will it work for us? Like the first thing I think about with TechCrunch is like, we're so bad at meetings. I think of Daryl in almost every meeting being like, this isn't what we were talking about five minutes ago. Like where, how did we get here? Like he gets do, the most I, frustrated. My, my character, my meetings character <laughs> is the guy who towards the end says, remember the purpose of the meeting was yeah. X, Y, Z. Not even towards the we... end, like five minutes <laughs> in, he's already upset, like grumpy old man. So there are a ton of very tangible, hard benefits. And the folks that are most motivated who are in meetings where if you make the meeting better, cash comes out the other side. Uh, you know, those folks are already using transcripts. They're already looking at recordings and they range from salespeople who, if they remember to uh, sell in the right way and to, to listen more than they speak and all the other best practices end up selling way more and, and there are good statistics uh, around that. What we've done there is, you know, something like Gong or Chorus allows you to look after the meeting. How much did I speak? Did I mention the key selling propositions? We do that in real time. So you can actually look and see, oh, I'm speaking too much. I should shut up. And then other types of meetings like interviews where instead of taking three weeks for a bunch of people to ask the same questions of the person, you can use asynchronous meetings to share the first interview and, and then be much more targeted around what you ask people. UX interviews, you know, you guys in media, uh, where the meeting itself is sort of the product, having good recordings of that and knowing what information was in there, health, 
So there's tons of meetings where there are super hard benefits to better meetings. And then, as you say, there's also the fact that most people are gouging their eyes out in meetings most of the time. And it seems like a bad way to spend your time. Yeah, the felt pain seems like it would go a long way, right? Like it's even if it's not something you can easily quantify in like, you know, bottom line numbers, every single person has experienced it. And it's one of those things that it's hard. Your brain is just like, I know this is a problem. And the numbers that come out of our pilot users is that they save one or two hours a day because they don't go to a bunch of meetings, like big meetings where you're not presenting, where you're just listening, like webinars and uh, other types of meetings where you where there's already a recording and you can listen later. We basically turn everything into a webinar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if you want to listen later, you can, and you can listen to the summary and do it in five minutes rather than an hour, and you can search it and go, oh, the five minutes I need to look at is the five minutes at the end. One of my meeting gospels is like, if a meeting over a certain size is not a meeting and should not exist, right? Like, just doesn't make sense. And More of a speech. Yeah, it is a speech. And the async video stuff is really Really great for that right and to your point it's like make it into a webinar and then have a Q&A feature after at some point that's participatory but the rest does not need to be synced. so another fun stat you know I don't know if you ever saw the information about judges and when they give verdicts in their day you know so after lunch they're way more likely to give a guilty verdict oh wow if you've seen that research. Yeah. They're fine. <laughs> Which, well, yeah, don't go to court. <laughs> I, <don't know. laughs> I, I need to change I my court time. Yeah, I really <laughs> need to change it, I say, from my holding cell. It's post-lunch. So what, because we're looking at the engagement of each person in a meeting, and instead of using that to call people out and go, Jordan's not paying attention, or, you know, Julian's goofing off, what we do is we give that back to people as an average, you know, sort of temperature of the room. So you can say, oh, I'm boring people. They were all super interested a minute ago. I've gone on too long. That's rough. Mm-hmm. And then after the meeting, that helps us do the summary. But we look at those statistics. And what we've discovered is for Headroom ourselves, meetings after lunch are basically a waste of time. Mm-hmm. And the engagement is super low. And then after about half an hour in any meeting with more than about five people, the engagement drops off significantly at like the 30, 35 minute mark. And so there are these insights where you hopefully can work out how to meet better. Yeah, I was gonna ask like perhaps even more generally, right? So you actually, you're gathering a lot of data and you're gathering it in an area that a lot of places probably haven't previously had any data or done any kind of like serious scrutiny, right? So when we're talking about companies moving to online models or remote models or or hybrid models, it would seem like there's tons of opportunities to provide them a big piece of the puzzle analytics side that like, this is how your business is working now. And is that something you've explored or is that something that you've talked about with customers? A lot of bigger companies have wondered, you know, how can I instrument my business and run it top down more efficiently? We have a slightly different philosophical approach, which is that we don't want this to be big brother. Mm. And we think that if you can enable individuals and small teams to have better meetings, then they, they'll be able to work out how to be most efficient themselves. And, and obviously all this information is the most private confidential information. Right. And so it only goes to the people who are in the meeting. They choose whether to share it more broadly. So we don't really, you know, have stats that we give on, you know, other. What about like meetings. broad stroke stats, though, right? Because if you have a hundred clients, it's not even just like this is how my business works. But maybe it's true what you said of headroom across the board, right? Like maybe ninety nine percent of meetings after the thirty minute mark. If there are more than five people, engagement significantly drops off. Have you thought about kind of educational tools? I think in the aggregate, that sort of general 
best practices and meetings, data will be hugely useful. And it's probably going to sound a lot like common sense, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. Don't have meetings that are too long. Don't have meetings that are too big. Yeah. All the things that we tell each other and nobody listens. But at least now you'll have stuff to back it up. Yeah. It'd be good to have the data and know, you know, is it 35 minutes or is it 40 minutes? Right? There's conflicting best practices, right? Like you're not supposed to have a meeting that's more than 30 minutes, but you're also not supposed to according to like, like anything on EQ tells you, like, don't just jump straight to work on a meeting either. Be like, oh, what are you doing? Your dog looks cute. Like the weather, right? Like I care about Why you as a person. You've said these things to me and they, <laughs> it's uh, all coming they, from they sound book, sincere when you say them. I need to tell that to you. Jordan, I thought you cared. <laughs> <laughs> I actually do care about the people I work with, but I think there are a lot of people who don't give a shit about the people they work with, but know that the best way to get the best out of them is to be like, I really care about you. I think the data will show that treating people like humans and, and icebreakers and connecting with them before you jump into the, you know, what have you done for me lately? I think that will show through uh, as a best I want to hear you sing that. <laughs> Yes, I, I like hearing you say that, but I also like hearing you say that your philosophy is like ground up kind of like, because I think that's true of, we've talked to other founders about remote and remote first approaches and, and transitioning to remote and whatever. And like TechCrunch has always been a remote organization. That's one of our strengths, right? And like, it's a thing that I think the legacy organizations don't really understand is if you start from that place, it's like, trust your people, trust them to know what to do with their time and how to allocate it and how to get the work done and they will get the work done. Whereas if you're coming from a legacy and you're trying to transition, I think the tendency, and that's why I mentioned that, is to say like, I need to understand what people are doing because I no longer have direct line of sight over that, right? So like, transparency is huge. And when you can't see people in the office, you wonder if they're doing anything. And that's just a normal right. human reaction. So when you can share meetings in a way that just doesn't say, hey, Here's too much information for you to look at to show that I'm doing stuff. When you can share it in a way which is, you know, look, here's a five minute summary of a really cool meeting I had on this topic and people can watch that. I've actually increased, you know, the respect I have for what my colleagues are doing because I can now see into it a little bit. I think also, though, there's like another piece with the legacy players, which is that not only is their instinct to know what the hell's going on, so they're like clingy to that. But I think there's also, if you're an employee at a place like that, and historically you've been in a cubicle with someone knocking on the door every 10 minutes being like, what are you doing? What's going on? What's going on? You're likely to, when the world changes and you go back home, probably be less good at allocating your own time and maybe even like feel the need to abuse it. You're like, freedom, you know, like for yeah. the first time, as opposed to if you start from a place of my employer trusts me and as long as I get the job done, I'm good to go. You know, it's like a overreaction on both sides, potentially. I agree. You know, when you spoon feed people, they get used to it. What's been amazing with remote in our company is everyone's like, oh, it's sort of up to me. No one's checking up on me. <laughs> and, and so I need to I need to get it done. And then being able to share some excitement because it's quite lonely, you know, being remote. And so yeah. you need all those human connections. And when someone can share a bit of what they've been doing through a meeting and, and share that, it's it's fun. It makes yeah. it more human. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that is the biggest challenge. I mean, you know, we try to do virtual get togethers once in a while that are like just, you know, nothing. Like let's just hang out. But it's always um, so chaotic. Yeah. It's like not even close to a parallel for what happens when we're all in the same room in person. Now, let me talk just for a second about how to make meetings a bit more like being in person. And this is a huge yeah, yeah. challenge for remote. 
And so one of the big challenges we talked about is that at least some of the people in a meeting will be typing furiously and note-taking furiously and not able to really participate. And so we try and take away those distractions with technology, with the transcription and the notes and the fact that you know that there's a meeting being saved for you to be able to look at in a convenient way so you don't have to worry about capturing everything. But some of the other stuff is, you know, just things like gesture recognition, right? So one of the worst things about video conferencing is there's a Stanford study on Zoom fatigue is that it's very hard to know when to talk. You can only have one person on the stage in the limelight at any one time. And if you want to get on that stage, you have to elbow them out of the way, right? And so you get a lot of this, uh, uh, oh, uh, no, you go. And then basically what happens is because people have these social collisions and don't know when to speak, they basically shut up and they withdraw. And then only one or two people in a, in a big group can actually contribute. And then you're sort of like, why are we here as a big group anyway? So one, one of the very simple little things is if you can say, hey, Daryl, I love what you're saying. And I, I do a thumbs up. And you can only look at one person at once. So if you're looking at me and Jordan did a thumbs up, you wouldn't know. So we just sort of augment right. that and we send the thumbs up out in real time. And a few folks are trying this. It's actually a hard technical problem. And if you do false positives, like uh, there are some tools where they try and do the hand up and hands up are going all the time. Like, I didn't put my hand up. Yeah, because if you gesture, you're like, uh. <laughs> I I'm Italian, you know, don't, you know I, I use body language. So, you know, everyone's putting their hands up apparently all the time. And they say, J- did Julian, did you put your hand up? It's like, no, I didn't put my hand up. So the, getting the false positives <laughs> dialed down to the point where you can actually recognize the gesture and only recognizes it when you're actually doing it, not when you're just waving your hands around. There's actually a hard technical problem, but the benefit is hilarious. So when people use Headroom, they go back to other tools and they go back to Zoom and they're doing gestures in Zoom and they're like, why is this not, <laughs> you know, why is this not working? It's so- uh, that's a really good problem to have. If something becomes the behavior that you assume to be default, that's terrific. That's, yeah. That is an indicator. And it's because it's natural, right? 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 Yeah, you know, whenever yeah, you have yeah. to change what you do, it's hard. I have to remember to say, uh, is it okay, Google? Or hello, Google? Or, you know, but if you I just do it. I give a thumbs up at the end of almost every meeting, just like this, yeah, yeah. blurry style. <laughs> and it's my way of saying yeah. goodbye. I don't wonder how Hedrick would be like, Jordan really liked that the meeting ended. (laughs) (laughs) You need to do one for vaping. And then it's like, Jordan vapes. Jordan vapes. She's really stressed (laughs) by what you said. She would speak right now, but she's taking a hit, you know. The fun Easter egg is the is the face palm. So you know when things are going badly in a headroom, you can you can. Oh, face that would palm. be me constantly too. I don't have any good gestures. In I'm constantly like this. But that would be great because then afterwards, like eventually, you could generate, or maybe you already do, like a per user sentiment analysis, and it's like you know Jordan overall is generally did not like stressed and disappointed, and only oh. happy when the meeting ends. So I mean, seriously, we have that data, and we're working out how to make it most useful. But if you you, for example, looked at your week of meetings and realized every time you met with Daryl, you had a great time. And every time you met with Julian, you were face palming 90% of the time. You might mm-hmm. think about who you want to meet with. Or like how to improve the underlying relationship. If <laughs> yeah. 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 like, I Oops. have problems all this. <laughs> yeah, Julian's like, just cut him out. Cut him out of your life. <laughs> it surprised me the other day that my dad brought this up, who is obviously much older and works for like a big, huge legacy business. And one of the things that I think is so lost that I don't know that technology can fix is like the side conversations, like the buzz, right? My dad was talking about like his weekly team meetings in person and how there were always people like buzzing all the time. There's always like, mm. some, oh, do you, what do you, 
we could do the, you know, like that, like little side conversation. Sometimes it's for fun. Sometimes it's Daryl and I rolling our eyes at the same silly comment. Right. And it's just yeah. us like building on our friendship. Sometimes it's like actually a step of the meeting, right. To like yeah. get a little cohort. Okay. Like let's talk about this part now. Right. I know the guy oh, it's an indicator that an idea is very exciting. Right. right? Yeah. So people it's are like, already starting to spin. And we, I guess we like slack, off. right. Like in the middle of a meeting, it's like, Oh, what do you think about that? What he just said? Like, I think it's kind of silly or maybe I think it's great or whatever, but it doesn't feel the same, you know, like it just doesn't, again, it's not, a one-to-one for what we do in the real world. Yeah, uh, the real world has some great advantages. <laughs> and there's sort of a, in, in, you know, in meetings, there's sort of this truism that the best meeting is who you happen to go up in the elevator with and talk to on the way to the meeting. And then when the meeting stops and two people stay behind to say, did you really mean that? Or, <laughs> or uh, you know, I wasn't sure what you meant yeah. about that. You know, th- th- those moments can be the most valuable. I think that's sort of a real world versus virtual, you know, problem to solve. I do think hopefully if you enable people to sort of be on any device and, and sort of meet, you know, from anywhere, then then maybe you can capture some of that, you know, with breakout rooms and side chats, as you mentioned, and sort of enable that. But it is it is a problem because some of it is being right there with someone. We believe some of that is the nonverbal communication, right? So the buzz, you talk about the buzz, right? In a room, you can tell when people are leaning in and are interested and engaged, you know, they're sort of moving in the city, you know, when you nod your head, they nod your head, you know, there's some mirroring going on. There's a bunch of stuff that happens when you get people who are able to perceive each other in a conversation when they're not staring down, you know, the tubes of the internet at each other, and they can only see this two-dimensional representation of, (laughs) of each other. And so, with gestures and other capturing nonverbal communication and augmenting it, we're trying to give people the feeling of are people leaning in or are people you know lying down and not interested. So there's some of that you can do, but the having the virtual elevator on the way to the virtual meeting, you know, we'll, we'll have to work on that. Well, that I mean, that kind of is the next question I have was because you know there's a lot of especially Facebook obviously or Meta now, but like yeah. they're very interested in the virtual meeting rooms and virtual meetings and. I think they would argue that a lot of this stuff is solved by doing that and by encountering people in those spaces, right? But like just getting sick in your kitchen as you meet with the team in VR. Is this the part of the podcast where you play the metaverse sound? Yeah. Yes, the metaverse theme song. (laughs) So here's the deal we think we are. Closer to the metaverse than anyone. <laughs> let me let me let me take that back. I think meetings are, are basically a 2D representation of the metaverse, right? So you you look into my world with the webcam, and then you can see my reactions, and I can see your reactions. So it's this two-way screen and sensor. Now it's two-dimensional and it doesn't have all the amazing, you know, three-dimensionality and some of the you know the haptics and, and some of the other things. But the question is whether it's most important that you have all the fancy headgear and, and you know, all the, all the stuff or whether yeah. uh, you've found a way to effectively, you know, communicate with each other. And so the augmentations that we're doing of meetings with all the metadata of, you know, transcript and notes and nonverbal gesture augmentation and, and so on are a sort of baby steps into being able to understand each other's realities. I mean, like, I agree with you fully. I asked that question just because I anticipate that question from others. I think the metaverse is awful. I hate it. And I shouldn't say that like on the podcast for everyone. But I mean, that that version of it, I guess, the version of it of like little bobblehead, whatever guys floating around in a 
virtual boardroom is not something that appeals to me. It's a classic, you know, we'll throw technology at it and it will solve everything sort of fallacy, right? Is You read it in Neil Stevenson, you're like, oh my God, that's cool. And then you see what Meta did where you have, you know, robot Zuckerberg bobblehead and you're like, okay, are these two the same thing? (laughs) And so... Yeah, you're like, they're pretty far apart on the spectrum. (laughs) And and so the question is, if you just keep throwing, you know, more smart engineers at it, does it get better? Or do you actually have to think about how do people want to communicate? I do feel like I would be more engaged if we could have our meetings in a setting of like the bridge on a spaceship. That would be cool though. Like, see, I'm falling for it again, Julian. Do you see the artists who are re- fixing meetings? They're in my head. We have a <laughs> we have a spaceship bridge background in Headroom mm. and that goes some way towards it. I think there's some really exciting innovation going on with sort of virtual offices and meeting spaces and serendipitous, you know, bumping into each other and breaking down the very traditional scheduled meeting approach. Some of that, you know, we're doing with the asynchronous, you don't have to be in the meeting, you can consume it later and share it and and move the information around. So you don't have to be stuck in meetings all day. But I think something will come out of the new approaches to how and when you decide to meet where and so on. Yeah, but I think your way in is probably the one that will lead to the most, like, it's like, start there, start where people are already communicating and have the means that have proven effective, and then figure out how to expand that into what becomes eventually a virtual shared office. And we think the disruption, because it's obviously hard to go up against these big video conferencing companies, whether it's Zoom or or Microsoft or, or Google, you know, they've got lots of users, they have big teams working on their products. And so what we're doing is doing something different. You know, it's not just video conferencing, it's communication and collaboration, right? So it's all this meeting information afterwards. And we sort of had to build everything from scratch. So oh, that sucks. So the I bet- expected that you didn't do that. <laughs> the fact that you did that sucks. I mean, on the communication side, WebRTC has made massive strides towards incorporating all the amazing innovations Zoom and others have made on how to get pixels to fly around the world in the right way so you can see and hear each other, right? And so those those are largely more solved problems. But the ability to do real-time AI on pixels as they fly around the world, that bit is where we've uh, made big advances. And it's actually quite hard for traditional sort of voice over IP, picture phone, you know, sort of signal processing technologies to do that for some architectural reasons. You know, if it's a peer-to-peer conversation, which is Zoom's two-person meetings, there's no server in the middle. You know, there's no way to add any value to the pixels. If you do, you know, end-to-end encryption, there's no way to add value to the pixels and pass it along. So you need this sort of media server in the middle, this SFU and low latency real-time AI technology to be able to do it and then build a proper security model around it so that it works for people's privacy and confidentiality. So, you know, we can now basically run any neural net in real-time on real-time communication. And so that's exciting for all the different features that people are going to want. Right. But to be clear, you didn't build from scratch video conferencing software. That was the place where there was WebRTC we could leverage. That you could lean on. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. Because that would be a sucky place to start, right? Like, that's a lot to do. Yeah, we don't, we're not masochists. That's a lot to do. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so yeah, all the AI we've had to build and the ability to run it over the top of the WebRTC data channels. But the WebRTC was something we could take a great open source implementation of. And, and it's been, that community is amazing. So it's been good. Yeah. And the latter sounds like a great moat, like the thing that you've actually built. On the product side, though, do you know when a meeting's going off topic, too? <laughs> 
Define off topic, Jordan. I'm curious because I'm sorry, but I'm stuck in the space bridge. And like, what if there was like an incoming missile when someone went off topic? That's a cool <laughs> blend of the AI being like, are you going to stay on track? And like, I mean, we can definitely tell when people are engaged and excited about an incoming missile and less excited <laughs> about whatever it was they were talking about that got interrupted by the missile. And that's that's how the highlights work, right? There are moments when nothing's being said, but people are going crazy and that yeah. tends to end up in the highlights. I wish we were using Henry because yeah. you could just take the notes in the highlights and they could be your product roadmap, Julian, like all of Jordan's. I like it. <laughs> I like it, the Excel spreadsheet with the... Uh... <laughs> I, I wanted to ask, we don't have too much time left, but I did want to get into a bit of kind of like your personal journey because you were a founder, right? Like you founded Jetpack and that's how you got to Google and then a good stint at Google and then back to being a founder again. So what was it? Why did you want to go back to the entrepreneurial life? I guess? So this is my fifth startup and wow. I love okay. startups. It is a ridiculous opportunity to try and do something very hard, get a group of people, all of whom you pick to work with you and try and assemble a, a crack team and do a, a ridiculously hard problem. And I don't know too many opportunities to do that in the world. It's it's crazy fun. I was at Google after they bought my full startup Jetpack for longer than I thought. Google's an amazing place and they let me do some ridiculously fun stuff. I got mm. to work Google X uh, on a variety of moonshots, trying to solve crazy problems. Uh, you know, the Imposter syndrome was off the charts. I think my first day at Google X, I was asked to go and have lunch with a Nobel Prize winning physicist and see if his technology was any good. <laughs> and I, I, I said, how am I going to know? <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, lots of fun problems. But the reason I decided to dive back into startups was both this particular opportunity, the coming together of, oh my goodness, meetings are still terrible the technology is there, the data is there, we need to do this. And then also just the attraction of going back to startups where you have a small team. When you need to make a decision, you basically ask yourself, do we want to do this? And the answer is yes. And, and that's the decision-making process I like there. Yeah, I mean, yes, that has a lot to recommend. I think, but do you miss the Nobel laureate sniff tests or do you get to do any of those? I mean, <laughs> it was it was like going back to university. It was amazing. I was learning so much stuff and being part of projects that are attempting to save the world was incredibly inspirational. Has it changed any kind of your like fundamental approach to found like do you do you feel like you're you're very different in your approach as a founder than you were at Jetpack or a house or I was taught by Google X and the moonshots we were trying there to think bigger. And so it's as much work to try something big and hard as it is to do mm. something small and less hard. And so you might as well reach for the stars. Yeah, well, you're definitely reaching. And I hope you get there because, honestly, I want everything that is on offer from Headroom. And more, and more. We demand more of you. Get back to work. Well, <laughs> it's, it's so funny because it's a problem that everyone is on video conferences all day, every day, right? So doing yeah, something yeah. where everybody has an opinion is both a great opportunity and a big challenge. And then doing something where if it doesn't work, you know it because you're on your product all day, every day. <laughs> <laughs> super chastening right so you, just, yeah, you have yeah. to get it right so we feel like we have a, a great privilege and a great challenge thanks very much for joining us that brings us the time but it was great chatting with you and i think yeah we figured out some with some stuff we have to work on at TechCrunch, and maybe we should give headroom a try to solve that journey. how many expenses uh, how, how many doll hairs is it it's uh <laughs> it's currently zero doll hairs oh all right that's what we like to hear 
<laughs> yeah. dollars though. Is it also zero and, dollars? And zero dollars. It's completely free. Uh, well, what we think okay. we'll do eventually is charge for you know storing meetings, but charge we want to like try and lunch. we want to try and keep the video fully featured video conferencing bit free because I think communication wants to be free. All right, Jordan. So that was our chat with Julian, someone who knows meetings better than most folks. But I mean, everybody knows meetings. We could all feel that pain when we started talking Mm -hmm. about it. Yeah, I mean, I definitely feel like if we switch to headroom, I'm going to get called out a little bit. All this gesture recognition. I feel like my teammates and stuff can see it, but I don't like the idea of it being recorded forever somewhere. I'm about how like you're constantly giving everyone the finger. Like if it just says like Jordan. <laughs> That's exactly what I do. Thank you. Yeah, listeners, I'm giving him the finger right now, actually. But you know, I do think that like the overarching data is interesting too. Like it's cool that this could transform the way teams do meetings. Cause I think we all, like you said, we all agree that there's pain there, that they're not as productive as they should be, et cetera, et cetera. But I think like on a holistic level, some of the stuff he was talking about were like meetings after lunch are basically useless and meetings over 30 minutes with more than five people engagement significantly drops off. And some of that stuff is just like useful tools to have. And if you can, as we think about like the future of work and we think about startups who are building companies and trying to, you know, I feel like you and I, Daryl, spend a lot of time thinking about process, where it should be, where it shouldn't be and what it should look like as startups do that. You know, this seems like a useful framework to start with, right? Yeah. Meetings are like the skeleton of a business in a lot of ways. So if you can nail that, you're starting with one foot forward, right? Yeah, for sure. And I think like one of the things we did also didn't talk too much about, but that people, depending on their industry, will probably like be, you know, yelling silently at their computers. But like sales teams use a lot of software that does a lot of these things already. When you're doing sales meetings, a lot of what you want to do is track what happened, take detailed notes, be aware of when things seem to pique someone's interest or convert them or whatever, right? So like, there's a lot of impetus to like want to do that there and a lot of motivation to have those kind of tools there. But I don't think it's been something that a lot of other folks have focused on or been interested in, right? But now because we're in remote, people definitely are. And yeah, they're looking for anything, anything that can help them kind of like form more useful practices around meetings, which like Jordan said, like they're the back end of the company. So obviously you want to make changes there and improvements there. I think it's interesting that like Julian was pretty adamant about like, you know, everyone's information is private and this it's not something where we're sharing detailed stats at the organization level or they're not interested in doing that, right? For now. For now, right? And that's the thing where it'll be the one to watch Because as a company grows and as a company, especially a startup, you know, like maybe their runway gets smaller or they run out of options that side or like they're not seeing the growth they want in a particular metric. And then those options obviously become more palatable and then pressure from investor can put them on that path, even if they didn't intend to do it in the first place. So like, that's all the stuff to watch. I don't necessarily, like, I'm not making a moral judgment on that. I think it could be an interesting tool for an enterprise used in the right way and not necessarily just something that's like a nanny state type feature, but... I mean, on a positive note, the idea that he created something pretty general, like you were talking about this being used for sales staffs, right? right? Or like how software has probably been developed, particularly around selling a certain thing, right? Selling X, we can give you really good notes and details on this. It's like pretty general AI that is measuring things that could be used in a million different organizations across a million different teams. So that's a pretty you know, phenomenal feat. And 
it'll be an interesting to watch this company as it grows. Yeah. What they do. Yeah. That, because a lot of what we talked about was how the reinforcement learning works and like how the software is getting better as it's like building its database of, you know, what is a behavior that indicates a positive reaction on a virtual meeting or whatever. Right. And I think that that is a net new kind of like database of information that to your point will have like tremendous value. I think there's stuff that it will end up being valuable for that we don't just understand or have knowledge of yet because we're still in the very early stages of like what is a remote company and like what's a remote workforce working well look like. Right? Yeah. Definitely. I agree. Well, we'll see. AI, you know, yeah, we'll anything see. could happen. Found is hosted by myself, TechCrunch News Editor Daryl Etherington, and TechCrunch Managing Editor Jordan Crook. We are produced by Ashad Kulkarni and edited and produced by Maggie Stamets. TechCrunch's audio products are managed by Henry Pickovit. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, and on Twitter at twitter.com slash found. You can also email us at found at techcrunch.com. And you can call us at 510-936-1618 and leave us a voicemail. Also, we'd love if you could spare a few minutes to fill out our listener survey at bit.ly slash found listener survey. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back next week.